0: Well, good morning. Uh, I'm just delighted to be here. Uh, I I, I didn't know I didn't know about you all. I didn't know Steve, and we had coffee together. And I just I really enjoyed uh, spending some time with him. And I loved the first service. This is a you're a blessed people, and I don't know why the place isn't jammed. Uh, You ought to be inviting your friends here. This is a good place to come and worship. So thanks for letting me be here with you. So question: Mental health. And scripture. How did when you first heard that? What was your response to that topic? What, what did you think? You know what I don't want you to think. I don't want you to think. Oh, we're going to talk about those crazy people out there, and we run into them. But thank the Lord, most of us are sane, and we're that we're good to go. But we're going. It's we're not talking either or. You know what we're talking about? We're talking about a continuum. And the reality is that all of us are on this continuum. The only person who ever walked the face of this earth with perfect mental health was Jesus. And all the rest of us are catching up and working to that end. So this, this conversation is for all of us to consider. And in light of that, the approach I want us to have as we have this conversation this morning is one, first of all, of humility. Because we all are on this spectrum and this continuum, none of us are perfect. We can be humble in how we approach and how we think of ourselves and how we think of others. The second component of how we approach this conversation is that of compassion. I want to encourage you to have compassion even toward yourself. Don't beat yourself up. Don't be hard on yourself. Be compassionate. We're all broken. Be compassionate to one another. And so with that in mind, as followers of Jesus Christ, I want us to take a few moments to, to consider what is a biblical perspective on this topic, in this issue of mental health. And there's a passage I want us to look at. And it's, if, if you don't understand this passage, I don't, know, I don't think you understand yourself or the world in which we live at all, nor do I think you understand the rest of Scripture. And the passage is Genesis chapter 3. Now, one of the things I've learned very quickly about this church is that it's a very orderly church. They, I, I, and I'm a military guy. I, I'm okay with that. But I have a start time and I have an end time. And so you may be surprised at this, but I'm not even going to read the passage uh, for the morning. But you better. You're not off the hook. Because I don't read it for you. Sometime today. Would you take a few moments. And just sit. With Genesis 3. One of the ways. One of the ways to get a handle on this passage. I, I love the way Francis Schaeffer. An old Christian. He's not, he's not with us anymore. But a Christian philosopher. He talks about the abnormal and the normal world. The normal world is Genesis 1 and 2. When God created the world and he created human beings, it was magnificent. There was harmony. There was beauty. There was vulnerability. There was openness in relationship. That's the world that God designed and intended for us to have. The tragedy is Genesis 3 follows Genesis 2. And Genesis 2, 3 tells us about a decision that Adam and Eve made that you and I have also made in the course of our lives. And you know the story. God presents all of this magnificence of His creation, and He says, It's yours. Just don't eat of this one tree. And Satan comes. And he begins to plant the seed that questions God's goodness for Adam and Eve. And they begin to weigh the options. They look at that tree, that one forbidden area. And they decide, we know better than God. And they make the decision that we can run our own lives better than the way God wants us to run our lives. And I want to submit to you that that decision, which we call the original sin which is a rebellion against God and a decision to run our own lives apart from him, that decision is the seedbed of the mental health issues that we are dealing with today. And it's really, I mean, we are dealing with the consequence of that decision and all the mess in the world that we we encounter. But I really believe it's the seedbed of the mental health issues that you and I and are present all the way across this continuum. Follow with me as, as, we, as we consider that. Think of... I'm probably not going to get to any of this, so I'll put my glasses down. Do you remember what happened when Adam and Eve sinned? What was the very first thing that happened? They... I I'm supposed to stay seated. Yeah. <laughs> because I, go, I, go, I get a little carried away. Um... The very first thing that happened, remember, is they ate the fruit, and they realized they were naked, and they covered themselves. Remember that? Do you remember how Genesis 2 ends? God describes this marriage relationship he just designed, and he says they were naked and not ashamed. The first thing that happens when they sin is they realize they're naked, and shame enters the picture. That sense of embarrassment, I'm not good enough, I don't fit, and shame becomes part. It's abnormal, it's not what God designed. But shame gets embedded into who they are as people and how they relate. And the next thing that happens is fear. God comes and they're afraid, they know they've done wrong, there's consequence. And they're afraid, and fear drives them into, you know what the third is? They go into hiding. Now, you think of this in terms of mental health. So much of what we struggle with is a direct byproduct of shame. And the fear of, if I get found out, if people really knew me, they wouldn't like me. They wouldn't want to be around me. So we go into hiding, we put on the false self, oh, and, and especially in church. We, you know, you, can be, you, could be, you could be arguing all the way, you could be arguing all the way to church and you get to that parking lot, you open the door and, and Jesus' smile goes on, doesn't it? Oh, praise the Lord. How are you, brother? You know, because we go into hiding in this fear. And so we put on this false self so that you'll like us. And the more we have to create things for that end, to that end, the more the mental health issues are at play. And you know what the... So there's shame. There's fear. There's hiding. You know what the last one was? Blame. And, I, and it's classic. Read it. When you read it today, you'll notice this. You know what Adam says? Because God confronts him and he says, God, the woman that you gave to me, she caused me to eat the fruit. I'm not responsible. You, don't you love this victim mentality we have in our world today? Nobody's responsible for anything. Where did it start? Right here. Genesis chapter 3. And it's been working its way down ever since. And it's present in your life and in mine and in the world in which we live today. And it's so easy even to blame God. God, if you're so powerful and if you're so loving, why are you letting this happen to me? How can this be? And we walk away, we think we can do it better. And we're left to our own devices. And all this stuff goes on inside of us. And there you have it. And there's the seedbed. If you don't understand Genesis 3, you won't understand your own heart. You won't understand all the defenses that you put in place. And you won't understand the world in which we live. The consequence of all that, the result of all that, we sin. We do things because we think we know better. We do things on our own that cause problems. And we are sinned against. We are the recipient of the sin of others. It's a pervasive. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So there's the biblical perspective on what I think are the seedbed of the mental health issues that we face today. Let me go to a psychological perspective for a minute. Let me make a comment about psychology before before I even make my comments. I think psychology is just like medical science, just like any of these sciences. Science studies what is. Science puts things under a microscope, looks through a telescope, looks at patterns. Science studies what is and tells us what we're dealing with. And they do it well. We are so much better off because of what scientists, whether it's medical, psychological, technological, whatever the area, we have learned a ton by studying what... You know what science can't do? Science cannot speak to those existential questions of why are we here? What's the purpose of life? Where are we going? What's the end? They cannot address the issues that God addresses. But please, folks, God has addressed them. He has communicated to us through himself, through his creation, through Jesus, through his word. We have truth that speaks to the issues that science can't. But don't ignore what science does bring to the table. But don't think it has all the answers either. But when psychology comes and looks at the human condition and studies these issues of mental health and studies relationships, what they see quickly is what God has already told us. None of us are perfect. And you know what that means? None of us, not one of you is sitting out there looking so nice. Not, not I, none of us came from a perfect family. Our families are on a continuum as well. Some, I mean, for those of us in the counseling world, we listen to this a lot. And there are some horrendous homes out there. But there are some really good homes. And they're all the way in between. Those that are abusive, those that are neglectful of raising their children, those that are shaming of their children, those that are absent, those that are helicopter parents, overcoddle. I mean, it's all over the map, but none of us come from perfect families. I came from a pretty good family. My dad was a preacher, but that was back in the day when they didn't talk to pastors about taking care of their family. My dad was never home. He'd come home for dinner and go back to church. I played three sports all the way through high school. I think he came to about three sporting events in my whole four years. It never dawned on me that my parents should be at my games. I'm just going to play ball. I think he, and he came to the football games because he liked football. But, <laughs> and, and my, I have a younger brother who's paralyzed. So my mother poured her life into him. I have an older sister, so I'm the middle child. I, I thought life was grand. I did fine, thank you very much. But I didn't realize there were some things that were missing. What psychology tells us is that we need a certain amount of nurture, a certain amount of care. This is what God designed. But none of us have perfect parents. So in the areas where our parents lacked, you know what we do? We're wired. God built us to survive, to thrive. We, and so where there's a deficit, we build defenses into our lives. We learn how to survive and to protect ourselves in those areas that weren't present. You know what happened for me? I became very independent. Oh, by the way, I didn't tell you this. My parents were also German. You know what that means? I don't know if you, do Asians know about Germans? <laughs> I'm glad there's a mixture here. Gotta learn from each other. My, we didn't talk about feelings. It's kind of like you guys. We didn't talk about feelings. <laughs> we didn't talk about relationships. I didn't know anything about that stuff. It wasn't until I got married. My wife says to me, hey, I don't, want, I don't want to live in, I'm going to live in my world and you live in your world. And I said, what's wrong with that? <laughs> so I learned to not have needs. Nobody was there for my needs. So why would I have needs? All of us have developed these defenses, these ways to survive. I didn't want to hurt because nobody was there to solve me, soothe me, so I didn't hurt, thank you very much. But that was just a protection. There was stuff going on that was not being addressed. So we developed these defenses to survive. And you know what happens? These defenses get played out in relationships. It gets played out in my marriage. All of us, you know how, you know how John Eldritch describes this? I love this. You can take this with you. In his book, Waking the Dead, he says these early injuries, remember, none of us come from perfect families. We've already established that. All of us have been imprinted by the way we were raised. And, and, and what John Eldridge says is, it's like a handprint in wet cement. The cement hardens And there you have it. All of you, all of us, are carrying these handprints that were put in place when we were children being raised by imperfect parents. And that has consequence. And it's played out in relationships. It's played out in how we interact with. Because that handprint, when it hardens, it's just how we do life. And it was very essential, very appropriate when we're children in homes that aren't perfect. But it may, be, it may get in my way. It got in my way when I got married. And it may get in your way at work. It may get in your way at church. It may get in your way in all kinds of settings, in your own home. And so the challenge is, what do we do with that handprint that's so a part of us that we don't even recognize it? We don't even know it's there. It seems so normal and appropriate. And then we see the consequence Breakdown of marriage. Kids run amok. International relations upside down. I mean, our world's a mess. What do we, is there hope? Is there hope for this world? Is there hope for us? You, you betcha. Do you know Romans 15, 13? May the God of hope fill you with all. Joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we all are dealing with this stuff. But there's hope, folks. I want to make three statements and then I'm done. Listen to these three statements. The first one, well, it all had to do with Jesus, of course. But the first one is one of the most marvelous statements I think Jesus ever made. It's in John chapter 8, verse 32. Write that down. Look that up, too. I'm not going to read it to you. But here's what he says. In John 8, Jesus says, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Oh. That's a critical, critical statement. Now, the, 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 the big expression, the big application of that, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the one who transforms our lives, brings us back into relationship with God, and makes us children of God that we sang about this morning. So the the good news of the gospel, the salvation of our souls, is grounded in the truth of who Jesus is. But that statement goes beyond just a gospel statement. I think it's a principle of life. It's the truth that sets you free. Mental health has a lot to do with the stuff that we keep hidden, and we think we're going to just take care of ourselves. And Jesus comes along and says, hey, you know that handprint that all of you have? The more that stays hidden, the more that stays buried and just activates and drives you, the more unhealthy you are. The truth will set you free. Bring that handprint into the light. What did imprint me? What did take place in my childhood? How was I raised? What developmental issues were a byproduct of my family? And if I can look that honestly in the face... And begin to realize there's some things that were good that I want to hold on to. But there were some things that were destructive that weren't healthy. It wasn't healthy for me to ignore my feelings, to pretend I had no needs. I had to deal with that, but I couldn't deal with it until I was willing to face the truth. Because it's the truth that sets you free. And so many times, this handprint is so familiar, so part of who we are, that we don't even... We can't do it ourselves. We need help. We need, a, we need a counselor. We need brothers and sisters in the church. We need to have a place where we can talk and have somebody help us identify that handprint. But it's the truth that sets you free. You won't have freedom from that until you face it and deal with it honestly. Secondly, John 15. You know what Jesus says? Without me, you can do nothing. You're not going to get mentally healthy on your own. Without Jesus, you can can do nothing. But he wants to come alongside and he wants to be with you. Third statement. God loves you just the way you are. You don't have to clean up your act before you come to Jesus and ask him to set you free. And ask him to be part of your journey as you walk toward wholeness. You just come just the way you are. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He didn't wait for the world to clean itself up. He came. Romans 5, God demonstrated his love toward us. In that while we, were, while we were a mess, while we're in hiding, while we're trying to present our false self and get everybody, Jesus knows. And he loved us enough to die for us. Can I go back to Genesis 3 for a second? You remember after Adam and Eve sinned and they were ashamed of themselves? They tried to cover themselves. They were afraid. They went into hiding and they started. What's the first thing that God says after they sinned? Do you remember? The first words out of God's mouth toward Adam and Eve were, where are you? Isn't that awesome? God came looking. He didn't give them a lecture. Remember the prodigal son? The father's sitting on a front porch. Mourning the loss of his son. He doesn't go get him. He doesn't force him to come home. He waits. But when that son, and he knows how he's messed his life up. When that son's walking down the road, the father's off the porch. Runs to his son. Throws his arms, and gives him a party. Doesn't give him a lecture. He throws a party. God loves you just the way you are. Handprint and all. And he's inviting you to come. So can I finish this morning with the way I started? I want to invite you as you consider, where are you? Where am I in my relationship with Jesus? How free am I to be honest, to be tr- deal with the truth of my life, to deal with that handprint? Can I encourage you to respond with humility? Hey, folks, we're all in this boat. We all are on a journey toward mental health. We all have to deal with the handprint. Let's just own it. Let's just get on with the journey. Let's be humble. Don't be proud. Don't try. And can I encourage you to respond with compassion? Compassion to one another. You don't know the story of the person sitting next to you. I mean, it's your spouse. I hope you do. But if it's. <laughs> if it's not your spouse. I mean, we, we get a... Satan is out to destroy the church. And one of the greatest avenues he has for destroying the church is your undealt with handprint. That's stuff that's going on inside of you where you get defensive, you get irritated, you get offended because... Ooh. And Satan would love... Be compassionate to one another. Be a church that is comfortable moving toward health. and be a, let's, have, let's have the courage to respond to Jesus and let him take us on a journey of wholeness and of health that brings him glory and brings health to the body that just is a light to our dark world. God bless you as a church as you enter this. And, and one of the best ways to just really take this in is to hear a story. Roman's going to come and share his story. It is a powerful story, folks. And just be open to what God wants to say to your heart through His grace, as it was expressed to Roman. Where is? He? Oh, there you are. God bless you, brother.